I remember uh, when I was a young man, I just finished Bible school, and uh, <clears throat> and I uh, I went. I was on my way home into Miami. My family lived in Miami, and I was on my way there, driving all the way from St. Paul, Minnesota, down to Miami, and I came through Ocala just in time to be there for the camp meeting, which I had already scheduled to be there at that time. And uh, they were going into camp meeting there. And one night, the camp evangelist spoke on Calvary. And I never will forget this as long as I live, but it hit me what a terrific price that Jesus paid on Calvary the suffering that he went through for us that we might be saved. And that message just hit me hard. And I remember finding myself a chair and getting into a little corner in that big tabernacle and burying my face in that chair and crying, literally crying for, I guess, I don't know how long. It, it, had, to been, it had to have been an hour I just sobbed and cried, and I just said, Lord, I thank you for Calvary because of what you suffered for us, what you suffered for me, that I might be saved. It hit me. I could feel it. It wasn't just a thought. It was something I felt. And I, I can't say that I've ever, ever felt this, the dynamics of it like I did that night. But I have thought about it many times, and I'm going to talk to you about Calvary here tonight because I've been moved by it here recently about the, the terrible price, terrible price that Jesus paid for us, but it was an awesome price. We received communion tonight here in honor of that. His blood was shed, his life, his body was broken, that we might be saved. It's one of the greatest things that could be done for one for another what Jesus did for each one of us. And uh, I'm going to, the title, of course, is Calvary, the greatest event in the history of man. And it absolutely is the greatest, very greatest of all events. It puts everything else down. Of course, the resurrection is, is, is with that, uh, the Calvary and then the resurrection. But Calvary itself was that act in which Jesus so very unselfishly gave himself for us and uh, we can say it but it seems like there's not words to describe what it really was and what it was like so I'm going to pass along some things to you here that I have been impressed with and I want you to go with me first of all to 2 Corinthians 3 and 2 5 and 2 2 Corinthians 5 and 2 this is our first number one here 2 Corinthians 5 and 2 <clears throat> and uh, and it's a very simple verse. And uh, for he hath made him to be sin for us. Think about it now. I'm going to talk to you a little bit here tonight. I got some things I really want to bring out and just talk to you from my heart. It says, for he hath made him to be sin for us. I'm going to talk to you more in detail about this in just a moment. But Jesus Christ was made sin for us. He who knew no sin, knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus Christ, this verse of scripture is simply saying, took our sins and he knew no sin himself. The emphasis I want to place here is that he that knew no sin, took upon himself our sins because there was no sin in him. There's no sin in him. He was, uh, he was born perfect. He was born pure. He was born, born holy. Uh, he was born of the Spirit of God. Joseph was not his father. Mary was his mother. But Joseph was not his father. God Almighty was his father, as you well know. I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to move on here on our next scripture here, which is found in Hebrews. And this is all just a confirmation to the same thing. Hebrews 4 and 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but 
he, that is, was in all points tempted like as we are. Now think about that. Jesus never exempted himself from the temptations that would come upon any human being. Jesus bore it all. He was tempted like everybody else was. So he was tempted in all points like as we, and yet without sin. He never committed any sin from that. He was sinless. Uh, reading one other scripture here in First Peter, and there are many others. I just took out just four select verses here to start this out with. Look in First uh, Peter and chapter 2 and verse 21. For even hither hereunto were he we were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Verse twenty two, who knew who did no sin. He did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered he threatened not but committed himself to them that judged righteously. Verse 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body, our sins on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. His stripes, of course, that he received is, is for our healing. He not only the healing of the body, but the healing of the soul as well. Healing of the mind, healing of anything that we need to be healed of. Praise the Lord. So, and Jesus here, uh, the scriptures rather are giving us scriptures here about the wonderful mercies of God. One other scripture here in First John chapter three, verse five. First John three five. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. There's four verses here that tell us very plainly that Jesus did not know any sin. He knew no sin. Praise the Lord. Now, I want to show you something here that uh, I've, I've mentioned casually in times past, but I want to uh, get a little bit further in detail here with it. And that is that if you look in Matthew 27 uh, with us, that this is note here. Take a note here. Matthew 27, 46. Uh, let me find it myself here. Okay, here, I got it. Look at this very closely here. This is when Jesus was on the cross. Look at it very closely here. I'll read the, the 45th verse and then the 46. I'll read the 45th. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Verse 46, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, and this is what that meant. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, when the Lord was on the cross, and he said, Eli, Eli, Lamech, Sabachthani. When he said that, he was speaking pure Hebrew. Now, in the New Testament, in the days of Christ, they did not speak pure Hebrew. They spoke, they spoke uh, an Aramaic, they call it an Aramaic language, which was a mixture of Hebrew, a little Greek, and a little bit of, uh, of, 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 of uh, Arabian, uh, 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 other languages and so forth. And so when he spoke this, some of them didn't know what he was talking about. Some said, what's he talking about? Somebody said, well, he calls for Eli. And they didn't know what, they didn't know what he was saying. But what Jesus said was, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? And he was said it in pure Hebrew. Now, I want you to go to Psalms 22. And I've referred to this before, and I don't want to just, I'm not going to stay with it for very long. But look in 22, 1. Psalms 22, 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, this is what uh, David said whenever he was writing Psalms. He spoke these words, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
And he was actually prophesying Jesus saying that on the cross. Now, you stay with me on this. I've got something to pass along to you about this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And uh, this is in that very first verse of 22. It's the same thing Jesus said on the cross. Not only does Matthew record it, Mark also records the very same words that Jesus said. And he spoke in Hebrew just like is written over here in Psalms 22. Jesus was not trying to quote Psalms 22. He was dying on the cross. It was his time now, and only just a few minutes later, a little longer, brother, he did actually die. But right at that point, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, did God forsake Jesus on the cross? Did he forsake him? Let me just say it this way. Stay with me on this. When Jesus died on the cross, folks, he took your sins and mine. He took, he had no sins, but he took our sins. And when he was hanging on the cross, he died the death of a sinner. He asked him, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? He died as though he was without God. Because he had taken our sins upon him and died the death of a sinner. I hope you understand what I'm saying here. I know this is maybe a little bit deep and some of you are trying to figure this one out. But he would die the death of a sinner because he took your sins and mine upon him. Praise the Lord. And had the weight of it. I, uh, I have known people, I have been with people who were passing away who were God-fearing people, God-fearing saints, and they would say, I see Jesus, or I see God, or, oh, isn't that beautiful? And I remember a man being saved in this church, and uh, he, was a, he was a computer expert, and uh, his parents came from uh, out California. He was from California. They came from out California, to uh, see what he had gotten into because he came in that came in the church and got saved, got filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. They said, "What's that that you got into? We want to know." So they came out here, and everything. And when they got out here, he had come down with a very serious cancer condition. And it was a very fast-moving kind, and everything. And his mother and dad were glad they were here because then, then their son began to fail. And she was in the hospital whenever he was laying in the hospital bed. And he had been sleeping there, and she had been right by his side, his mother. This is, a, this is a young man. This guy was probably no more than 35 years old. And, and all of a sudden, he opened his eyes and put his arms out like this. Opened his eyes and put his arms up like this. And she says, yes, honey, mother's right here, mother's right here. And she went over to him. And he wasn't looking at her. He was looking like off in a distance. And then she kept and said, Mother's here. But he didn't look at her. He looked at the distance. And then his arms fell down on the bed beside him. He closed his eyes. And he never opened his eyes again. He passed away. She came to me and said, I want to know what my son had. He saw the Lord. I know he was looking at God, not at me. And I want to know what he's got. To make a long story short, I taught he and her and her husband a Bible study. They both received the baptism of the Holy Ghost to walk with God and serve the Lord. And uh, later on, moved back to California. And I'm sure that this time in life, they passed on serving the Lord. But what I am pointing out to you here, what it was that he saw the Lord. I had a sister that uh, was, was in a coma and my other sister was there by her side at 2 o'clock in the morning. And my other sister told me this. And I was on my way there because I knew my sister was passing away. And, uh, and she was in this coma. She's laying there. And, and my other sister said, all of a sudden, she opened her eyes and lifted her arms and said, I see God. I see God. Three times she said, I see God. And closed her eyes and put her arms down. And the next day passed away. Now, how many times has that happened? But that's people that know the Lord. See, a sinner that dies and that doesn't know God, we don't know what they go through. Now, think about it now. We don't know what they experience. 
And, and this is the sad thing about it. I know they people, they do this, they're going to do this, they're going to do that and everything. And then when it comes right down to the last hours of their life, what do they see? I have heard some stories. I've heard some terrible stories about somebody passing and they were a, a sinner and really lived wild or bad. And some of the horrible things that experience, they experienced as they were dying. But they died the death of a sinner without God. Now, what I'm pointing out to you here is that one of the tragedies of Calvary and one of the heartaches of Calvary was that Jesus, taking upon himself our sins, actually died as though God had forsaken him. Do you understand what I'm saying here? This is a little deep, but I'm just pointing this out because this is why Jesus said on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And people say, I don't understand that, I don't understand that. It's because he had taken your sins and mine. And, that, and this all comes from back here in Psalms 22. My God, my God, he said, why has thou forsaken me? And then when you go on to read Psalms 22, it's all about Calvary here. And I'll get back to this in a few moments. But I want to move on here in some of our other things that we're going to talk to you about. Because when Jesus went to Calvary, folks, it was a horrible thing. There's many things involved. Look at number two here. The resistance to Jesus by the religious leaders of his day, and then their accusations, their accusations against him. Not only did Jesus suffer on the cross, but he suffered the constant barrage of accusations of who do you think you are? We don't believe you are who you say you are. Uh, why don't you uh, get out of Israel? Why don't you go somewhere else? Why don't you? And they were constantly badgering him. They were constantly listening to every little word he was saying and trying to jump on something. They were, his whole earthly ministry, three and a half years, was filled with this kind of a barrage upon him. I'm going to show you in a few moments where all of these things were prophesied in the, old, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. They were prophesied they would happen. And Jesus was badgered by these, these uh, Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes, and different religious leaders of his day who was telling him, we don't believe you're the Messiah. We don't think you're who you say you are. And they were constantly badgering him. I'm going to uh, give you a couple examples here. I'm going to go to number one here. Uh, not keeping the Sabbath, for instance, or the traditions of men, such as not washing their hands. This is the one I want to deal with first time. Look at Mark 7 now. I'm going to go to Mark 7 here. Mark 7. Praise the Lord. Verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. Look at verse 3. I'm going to read verse 2 and 3. I'll go ahead and read these two verses. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with, with, uh, with defile, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they washed their hands oft or often, eat not holding the traditions of the elders. Now, that wasn't a law of God in the Old Testament. That was a tradition of the elders of their group that said you've got to always be washing your hands, washing your hands. Look at verse 6. Jesus answered and said unto them, Well, hath Elias prophesied unto you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honoreth me with their lips, but with their heart is far from me. Verse 7. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. This is what Jesus was saying. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men, as the washing of pots and cups, and many such things like you do. Now, we all know we all do that, but it wasn't a religious thing. And he said unto them, Full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. So they were constantly at him for keeping his traditions like washing of the hands, 
That was only one thing. Look at number two here. Number two. Not keeping the Sabbath. This was one I could show you. And I'm only just using you one example because there are several examples in all of these things. Several of them. I mean, all through the Bible here. One time they didn't, uh, they picking corn on the Sabbath day and they said, you know, you're not, you shouldn't be doing this on the Sabbath day. Look at this one. I'm going here to uh, John 9 1. 9 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man with, which was blind from his birth. That means he had never seen before in his life. I'm, going, I'm saving time here. I'm going to jump down to verse 6. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground. Jesus talked to him first. He spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. This is what Jesus did. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by the interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Okay, he came seeing. You say, Brother Myers, why did he spit in the clay and made the clay? Well, God made Adam from the clay, of the, from the dust of the clay, didn't he? Didn't he make Adam from the dust of the earth? So Jesus, I guess, was fixing his eyes with the same, it was God's way of fixing his eyes from the dust. I won't go any further. You can figure that one out. I'm reading here in verse 7 again, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation said. He went his way, therefore, washed and came seeing. Verse 9, some said, This is he. They, the, the Pharisees now begin to say, Who is this guy? They all begin to say, Who is, is, is this guy who was blind or not? He's, he's, this guy can see. Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. <laughs> I'm him. you looking at him. Look at verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. You see that? Now, they, they were not amazed at the miracle. This was not a man that had gone blind and now he had a sight back. He had never seen in his life. He was born blind. And Jesus now had healed him. Praise the Lord. And they had a problem because he had done it on the Sabbath day. And verse 15 is interesting. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Verse 17, they say unto the blind man again, what sayest thou of him? <clears throat> they couldn't hardly believe. They kept going back and forth, back and forth. They went to his parents in verse 20. They, and they, 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 verse 19, they asked them, saying, is, is this your son? Who you say was born blind, how then doth he see? And his parents, verse 20 says, he, his parents answered them and said, We know that he was our son and that he was born blind. Then they went on to say, Go ask him. Go ask him if you want to know something about it. And then again, they kept, uh, the word again, he is over and over and over. I'm going to verse 25 here to try to save time here. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or not, because they said Jesus is a sinner. They said, whether he's a sinner, no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Praise the Lord. And you couldn't get away from it. But they got all hung up because it was on the Sabbath day. And you weren't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath day. The tradition of the elders. You following me? Now, Jesus was harassed with that all through his ministry. That's, I'm, getting, I'm telling you that there were things that he was harassed about before he ever got to Calvary. And they kept finding these little old faults. Here's another one they started finding fault with. I mean, they one thing after another. And usually if you find it in John, you find it in a couple of the other gospel books, find it in Matthew or find it maybe in Mark or, or Luke, back and forth. They're, they're, it's more than one place that you find these scriptures and, uh, and so forth. Now, let me, uh, let, me, let me go to this next verse here. This is in uh, Mark, Mark 2 and 3. Look at this. Everybody with me? Mark 2 and 3. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. Uh, 
these men had got on top of the house and opened up the roof and let the man down because Jesus was in the house and everybody was crowded in there. And uh, so they put him down there. Verse 4, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered. Well, here's, here's what they did. They uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy was lay. When Jesus saw their faith, verse 5, notice, folks, he didn't see the man in the, in the, on the bed's faith. He saw their faith. You see that? He saw their faith. Your faith can help somebody else. You understand what I'm saying? You say, well, if you've got enough faith, you could be healed. Well, maybe we can have faith for them. Praise the Lord. I'll just leave that for whatever it's worth. There's so many things here. Praise the Lord. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be healed. Do you see that? Uh-uh. Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, he knew why he was saying that. He knew why he was doing that. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there. He knew that. He knew they were sitting there, too. And he knew they were trying to find fault. He was teaching, talking, healing the sick. People were crowding in. They are all sitting there like this. We're going to catch him on something here. We're going to catch him on something, some accusation and everything. And he knew that. So there were certain scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Verse 7, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? This is what they're thinking. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them. Now he looked, didn't look at anybody, he looked at the scribes who was there trying to find fault with him. He said to them, Why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether it's easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk. Which is easier? Well, that's a good question. And then, But, ye, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sin. And that's what they were finding fault with him about. He went right to their door. He saith unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. In other words, he healed him. So whatever they were trying to surmise and trying to work out against him, uh, Jesus simply took it all away from them, and the crowd was happy, and the guy got up and walked away with his bed, and everybody said, Praise the Lord, and and the scribes are all sitting there like that boy. He stole, stole our thunder right quick, you know. I'm just saying that all through Jesus' ministry, they were constantly trying to nail him with things that they thought were, was against God, against the Word, against their traditions, or whatever it might have been. Uh, look at the next one here. Jesus identifying himself as God. Boy, this was a, this was a, this really came home. On them bad. Look at, I'm going with you over here to uh, John 8, uh, 50, 56. John 8. Let's see here. Let me find it. Okay, here we go. All right. Praise the Lord. Look at 856. Everybody still with me? Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Verse 57. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Look at verse 58. Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Woe. I am. That's exactly what God told Moses in the wilderness. Then the Moses said, what's your name? He said, I am that I am. I am is my name. I am means I'm everything. I am here, I am there. There's no place I am not. I'm then and I am now. And I will be in the future. I'm all time. I'm all power. Praise the Lord. I am. That's it. That does it. That says it. So he says, I am. 
And all through the New Testament, Jesus would say, you know, I am the light of the world. I, I am the good shepherd. I am uh, the little of the valley. I am, I am, and so forth. I won't get into all those kind of things. Only to tell you here that Jesus identified himself as the I am. They knew what he meant when he said that. Before Abraham was, he didn't say before Abraham was, I was. Nuh-uh. He said, I am, because that's the name of God. Before Abraham was, I'm God. I am. Look at verse 59. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. All right, so he eased on out of there. Look at chapter Look at chapter 10. I'm going to move into the next one here. Chapter 10, verse 30. He says, I and my father are one. I and my father are one. Not three, not two, not... <laughs> All right, everybody get that one. I and my father are one. If you've got your Bible, underline that in red. Verse 31. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Because they knew he was saying he was God. I and my father are one. Praise the Lord. And... Uh, Look at verse 37, 38. I'm still there in chapter 10. Look at 37, 38. Jesus said, if I do not the works of my father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the father is in me and I in him. Now, these were things where Jesus was identifying him as God Almighty. And man, that really rankled them. They really, that did, that just that threw them. Look in John 12. I'm going to move on here to the last one right here in that, in that group. John 12. Praise God. 44 and 45. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. Look at that. I'm going to read that again. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. Wow, that's God, right? So these statements, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever I believe in me shall not abide in darkness. Now, I'm just pointing this all out to you because these things, it made these guys so mad and so upset. I mean, they were just so angry at Jesus all the time. And uh, I'm going to go to this one last this other verse, let me find it in Matthew 26. 26. Uh, okay, for such reasons, let me get it to be here, okay. For such reasons as these, they sought to kill him. Matthew 26, 3 and 4. So if you go to Matthew 26 and look at verses 3 and 4 with me here. All right. Then assembled together the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people unto the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. Notice this. They wanted to know how they could get him and kill him, so it was a plot going on to kill Jesus. All these things, folks, were going on now. Here's why I'm talking to you about it. Not only was Jesus teaching before he ever got to Calvary and teaching the word of God, doing the miracles that he was doing, but there was that constant effort on the part of the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, part of the priesthood of that day, that was constantly trying to nail him, get to him, find fault with him, picking at him, trying to say everything that they could so they can bring him down. And he dealt with that. I'm trying to show you here what he went through for us before he ever got to the cross. He went through those things, all that humiliation and all that uh, intimidation. All of those things, he did it for us. Praise the Lord. I know Jesus was God, and God could have just been did like that, and they'd have been they'd been wiped out. But that wasn't the, that was wasn't God's plan because He 
had to go by the way of the cross that you and I might be saved. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm serious, folks. When I think about his willingness to go through everything that you and I might be saved, I am so touched by that. I guess that's what hit me that night when I was at that campground and I heard that message on Calvary. And I realized how much the Lord loved us and how much what he went through and how much suffering he went through. Praise the Lord. All these things he did it that you and I might be saved and that we might have eternal life. That's why, folks, we should praise him all the time. Don't hold back your praise from the Lord. Don't say, oh, well, I've given God enough time. I don't, I'll do something else. Hey, we owe him everything, everything. There is nothing left without him. There is nothing left. I mean, we can go through this life, but when this life is over with, we'll be like the sinner that's saying, now what? Where do I go from here? There's nothing left. That's it. You know, people try to figure out what's going to be next. And with Jesus Christ, we know, praise the Lord, by all the, the testimonies, the word, and the things that Jesus paid the price that you and I might have eternal life and be with him and with our loved ones who've gone on and others of friends that have gone on to be with the Lord. There's many people from this church that's gone on to be with the Lord and one day we'll see them. Praise the Lord. There's people that you have helped win to God and you have win to the Lord and people you have won to the Lord you probably don't even know about. But the Lord, praise the Lord, has them all there and the Bible talks about one day that God is going to have us all in heaven together with him. It'll be a wonderful thing. Praise the Lord. Let me move on a little faster here. I know my time is getting away here. Uh, let me go to the next part here. The crucifixion of Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament. Now, I mentioned to you a while ago about, uh, about Psalms 22. If you look here, I've got a contract. As an observant, and as a participant. Now, the crucifixion of Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament. I want you to look at it as, a, as an observant. Look at Isaiah 53. You notice I don't have no verses here. I'm just going to pick out a few verses here. Isaiah 53. This is a powerful verse. And this is all prophecy of the crucifixion of Jesus. I'm going to read 52 and 14. 52 and 14 is not in your notes there, but I'll just read it. 52, 14. This is just a few verses, just two verses before the 53rd chapter. It says, And many were astounded at thee. His visage was so marred more than any man, and his form was more than the sons of men. Talking about how Jesus was really beaten and, and uh, how he was. Now look at 53. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And then it goes on down to talk about Jesus here. I'm going to read verse, uh, verse 2. And he grew up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of the ground. He hath no form nor of commonness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we shall desire him. Look at verse 3 now. He is despised and rejected of men. Now just think about Everything he did, he was being despised and rejected of men all around him. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, as our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Look at verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Look at verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. This is a prophecy now in the Old Testament before it would ever happen. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. This is verse 6. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, all of us, upon him. Look at verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. 
is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Uh, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, pointed him out. And Jesus Christ would become the Lamb of God. Uh, he was killed on the Passover, you know. And of course, they always killed a Passover lamb. Jesus became the fulfillment of that. He died on the cross. So this was referring to that. Behold the Lamb of God. Praise the Lord. And he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. I remember as a student in Bible school in St. Paul, Minnesota years ago, I worked for a while at the at, uh, uh, one of the meatpacking plants there. And uh, I never will forget, that it was about 5,000 employees, Swift, Swift's meatpacking plant. I worked from 3 to 11 at night, went to school from 8 o'clock till, till 1 o'clock in the daytime. And ate lunch real quick, grabbed my bed and took off. And that's the way we did it. Paid our bills and so forth, trying to get through school. It was just one of those things we did. And I remember them telling me, in that big meat packing plant where they had 5,000 people working there, working like two shifts, morning shifts and evening shifts. They said that they have what they call the beef kill, the pork kill, and the sheep kill. This is where they kill the animals that come in. The folks, they, they came in, they came in every day by the load of these animals coming in out of, off, the, off the farms and out of the Midwest, you know, cattle drivers and all that. And they had a guy that killed beef all day long. That's all he did was kill the cows. Killed the cows, they fell on the conveyor, and then they started butchering them up. I know it's gross, but that's, that's the way it all happens. And the, the pigs, pretty well the same thing. They had a pig kill. But the sheep kill, they couldn't do that. They said to a guy, you, you kill sheep for two hours, and then you get off of it. And you have to be off of it for a week. You can't go back on it. They put another guy on for the next two hours. This is the sheep kill now. He could not be on that longer than two hours. They took him off. Next, the next guy and everything. They rotated these guys during the sheep kill because they said they could not handle it, killing sheep on and on and on every day, every day, all day long because the sheep never resisted them. What are you trying to say, Brother Myers? That's what Jesus was when he went before the, them. He never resisted. He never opened his mouth. In fact, Caesar, the, I mean, the not uh, not Caesar, but uh, Pilate. Pilate said to Jesus, don't you have something to say? You know, say something. You know, they're accusing you. Don't you got something to say? The Bible said he opened not his mouth. He was, mouth was, was dumb. He just, that way. And it's prophesied in the Bible in the Old Testament that he'd be like that. He would not say nothing. I'm just pointing out to you here, folks, all that Jesus did that you and I might be saved. And I, I hope, praise the Lord, if I never say anything else in this Bible stand, pulpit here, what are you going to call it, table, if you never hear anything else I say in teaching, don't ever forget that Jesus paid an awesome price that you might be saved, that I might be saved, that each of us might be saved. And he paid a, a big price for it because he loved us that much. He loved us that much. He so loved the world. Praise the Lord. And it's one of the greatest, the greatest event that ever happened. But Jesus did it all. He goes on to say here in this 53rd chapter about Jesus. Uh, he was cut off out of the land of the living. This is verse 8. He's cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. We know that. The two, two thieves on each side. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit. Now, this is all prophesied in, in Isaiah 53. And then he goes on to say one place, the last verse here in that 53rd chapter, the very end of it, this is the 12th verse. The 53rd, the very end of it says he made intercession for the transgressors. In other words, one of them said, Lord, I want to, you know, can I be saved? He said, this day you shall be with me in paradise if you believe on me. He said, I believe. And he did. And he was a transgressor. He was a, I don't know, a thief or something. And he was died. Two thieves bowed Jesus. One of them, praise the Lord, was saved at that time. And Jesus forgave him right there at the cross. I won't go any further on that. I just want to point this out, and this is what I'm going to next here, is that this was all done 
as an observant. In other words, if you read 53rd chapter of Isaiah, it's like you're standing at the cross looking at it. And you're looking at Jesus. You're standing there seeing all these things he was going through. Now, go back to Psalms 22 again. Psalms 22. This is amazing because Psalms 22 is a participant type of an observation. In other words, this prophecy was as though he was involved. This is the one where he starts out and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It wasn't like you were standing at the foot of the cross looking into Christ on the cross. You were Christ on the cross. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is like you were Jesus on the cross. Who wrote this? David did. And David knew that the Messiah would come from him. He knew that. Praise the Lord. Let me see if I can find the scripture here. Chronicles. Yeah, I got it right there. Chronicles 17.4. Look at this. Go and tell David my servant, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt build me a house to dwell in. That's why David wanted to build the Lord a house. And uh, look at verse 10. And since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, moreover I will subdue all mine enemies. Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will build thee a house. I'm going to build you a house. And it shall come to pass that when thy days will be expired and I go with thee into thy father, I will raise up a seed after thee which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 12, and he shall build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. He's speaking of Jesus here, because Jesus was a direct descendant of David. He was through, through Mary and through Joseph, but Joseph was not his earthly father. Verse 13, I will be his father, he shall be my son, I will take, and I will not take my mercy away from him. Verse 14, but I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forevermore. Finally, look at verse 16. And David the king came and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, Lord God? That, what is my house that thou should be, that thou hast brought me hither? And yet this was a small thing in thine sights, O Lord, for thou hast also spoken of thy servant's house, speaking of himself, David, thou hast also spoken of thy servant's house for a great while to come. I know you're talking about somebody way down the line, and Jesus was talking about Jesus. So whenever David was inspired and moved upon by God to prophesy, he would prophesy in the first person. Do you see why he would? This is why Psalms 22 is all in the first person. Look at Psalms 22, 6. But I am a worm and no man. This is Jesus. A reproach of men and despise of the people. Verse 7. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. That's exactly what happened when Jesus was dying on the cross. He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. That's what the Pharisees, this is in Matthew 27, it says all that. So I'm just pointing out here that this is what Jesus, praise the Lord, felt when he was on the cross was the inhumanity, not only the intimidation of him against him when he was teaching, but when he was on the cross. And, and Psalms gives you that picture, Psalms 22, different than Isaiah 53. How many of you know what I'm saying here? I don't think I'm getting to, I'm getting through to you then. I'm sorry. But I'm pointing out to you here that one is as though you were at the foot of the cross looking at Jesus, a prophecy of him coming, Isaiah. And the other was as though you were Jesus on the cross and the same kind of rejection of against Jesus. I'll read these two verses, these few verses. I'm going to read 15, 22, 15. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue cleaveth into my jaws. This is like Jesus on the cross. If you don't know, if you want to know how Jesus, what Jesus experienced on the cross, read Psalms 22 sometimes. This is what he experienced on the cross. My tongue cleaveth in my jaws. There has brought me into the dust of the earth. For dogs have compassed me. That's the Roman soldiers. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. It's a prophecy of Jesus. His hands and feet being pierced. But it doesn't say they pierced his hands and feet. They pierced my hands and feet. Verse 17. 
I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. Verse 18, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. That's exactly what those Roman soldiers did with Jesus' clothes. I'm just pointing out, but he talks about it in the first person. Now, it's, 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 I've only got four minutes left, and I'm not going to take all that time. But all these scriptures down here, you can follow these in your, on your own notes here sometime. The prophecies of Jesus' rejection and suffering in, in just Psalms. Notice that on Psalms. Psalms 2-2, Psalms 35, and, one, and every one of them are in the first person, folks. They're in the first person. Not every one of them. There's some of them that's not. But so many of them are in the first person. It's as though he suffered this. And when you read these things, you realize that God put on David the feeling that Jesus would have whenever he would go through the suffering of the rejection, of the turn, being turned away by the Jews, and also the suffering on the cross. And this is only, this is only a handful in Psalms only. Not even getting out of Psalms. This is only a handful. There are many more of them in Psalms that I didn't even put down here. But I'm pointing out to you here that Jesus, praise the Lord, did all of this that you and I might know, folks, that he loved us so much that he paid a big price on Calvary. And so Memorial Day, many people have given their lives for others to save others. Thank God. God bless them. And a lot of military people have for us i know that but i'm just pointing this out no price has ever been paid as great as that of jesus jesus paid the big price so that nobody has to be lost anybody can be saved all you got to do is call on him reach out to him tell him you want him more than anything in the world let him know that this is it and the lord will make you one of his children and one of these days you'll walk streets of gold and if you ever get discouraged and sit living for God and serving the Lord, go sometimes to the 22nd chapter of Revelation and read all about the, the holy city. Just read about it. Praise the Lord. And that won't sort of pick you up a little bit. Praise the Lord. I don't know what else will. I've been through all kinds of things, and there's times I'll go to that. I'll say, Lord, here's that holy city. I may not have anything here, but over there, praise the Lord, I've got the Lord, and i got the Lord's promises, and the Lord's coming back soon, praise the Lord. And I don't know how much time I've got here. I don't know how much time we've got. The Lord's coming soon. But if we, if we did have longer, I don't know how much time I've got. You know, each one of us can feel that way. But I want you to know this, that God has a great reward for those who love Him, will walk with Him. And He paid a big price, a big price, folks, for you and I. That's why he is worthy of all praise and all worship and all glory and all of our time and attention. Anything, don't ever think you're giving too much to God. He's worthy of it all. Let's stand together and let's just praise the Lord. Oh, you've been a great audience here tonight. God love you. Lord, we love you so much, Jesus. Bless your people. Bless your people. Bless your people. God, help us, God, to love you. <coughs> help us, God, to hold fast to the faith that you put in our hearts. Help us, God, to keep strong in you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, bless your people. Bless the children. Bless the young people. Bless the senior citizens. Bless all of our adults, our people raising families, our grandparents. Oh, God, bless everyone. Jesus is walking with you, Lord. Bless this congregation. Bless your people all over this state, all over this nation, and all over this world, God. That one day, Lord, we'll see you and we'll walk streets of gold. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Calvary. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the great price that was paid. Thank you, Jesus. We love you with all of our heart and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said praise the Lord. God bless you. You're dismissing his name.